Hello, and welcome to the Parkinson's Disease Caring Podcast. This podcast is produced for care partners and caregivers of loved ones with Parkinson's disease. This show is brought to you by Dr. Kloss's new book, You're a Better Parkinson's Disease Caregiver Than You Think. Please visit pdcaring.com for more information. Welcome to the Parkinson's Disease Caring Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kevin Kloss. Today my guest is Anka. Anka is the spouse of a patient of mine named Bill. Bill has had Parkinson's disease for at least the last 13, probably closer to the last 15 years. His progression has been more rapid over the probably the last five to six years of requiring more help, both physically and mentally, in managing uh, his day-to-day activities. Anka has been uh, one of the um, most inspiring caregivers that I've seen in the practice. Um, She's very involved in helping him with his day-to-day activities. She has taken over the role of managing the family, the um, household duties, the finances, and also really doing such a tremendous job managing all of his healthcare needs. She stays very informed. She constantly researches new treatments, new therapies, new equipment, and she is very involved in the community, working with other families, working with support groups, and just really being an advocate for uh, all patients and families dealing with Parkinson's disease. So I think you're going to enjoy the interview that I had with her here recently. She provided some great information and some great thoughts and wisdom that I think we can learn from as care partners and caregivers to loved ones with Parkinson's disease. So I hope you enjoy the interview today. Thank you for joining us. Well, Anka, thank you so much for joining the podcast today, and and we appreciate your participation in this and taking the time out from your busy schedule. Um, but I I want to start uh, with a question about uh, your uh, relationship, but but more so, what was Bill like before uh, he was diagnosed? Can you paint a picture of what life was like for the two of you before the diagnosis? Absolutely. It was a very normal life. However, we experienced some things that we used to tell him quite frequently. Bill, put your shoulders up. You're shuffling your feet too much. And that was prior to about 13 years ago when he was officially diagnosed with Parkinson's. And honest to goodness, looking back, diagnosis was there a long time before but we didn't know anything about it, certainly not me. I've never been exposed to it. He hasn't been exposed to it. So we had to step it up and learn. But really, at the beginning, we didn't learn as much because we didn't have knowledge nor resources where to go, what to do. Neurologists identified that he had Parkinson's, and that was pretty much it. Let's take medication and stay with it. So about five or six years ago, we were told about a facility that was doing boxing. And when we got there first time, 
he could not even hardly walk. Two people had to hold him so he wouldn't fall. And gradually he started, you know, working through that phase and we saw big improvement at that point. So it uh, took both of us to be involved, very involved from the very beginning that we took it to be something very serious and realized this is debilitating disease that we really didn't have enough knowledge about. So it has been a very slow progression for Bill, but we have seen changes from physical uh, appearance, from physical abilities to cognitive skills. So um, we have definitely experienced some of those and we have been addressing those as we notice them. So we are both very, very involved in everything that pertains to him. Sure. And and how much help does he need right now physically? Uh, how much are you doing for him? I do everything for him. Only in the last three weeks, I have been able to have someone come in and help me uh, to bathe him because my back began to hurt. Uh, he can't dress himself, can't bathe himself. He's got some dexterity issues, so he can't pick up his pills from his organizer, a pill organizer. And of course, he doesn't drive a car. He can't sign name or has difficulties sometimes carrying conversation because those words that connect conversations don't always come easy for him. And uh, his voice has gotten softer than it used to be. So his need is day by day uh, growing, you know, to have more of me giving to him. Um, I have to cut his food. I don't feed him at this point, but I do have to cut his food, uh, you know, so I really end up speaking for him, doing for him. I represent him in everything we do. Yes. Oh, and you do such a wonderful job and you, you take such Thank great you. care of him. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, how you have sort of stayed uh, involved with um, the local and national, you know, Parkinson's organizations and and your research and and just what you're doing to kind of learn and and help sure. help Bill. Um, I'm an incredibly organized individual, so organization is absolutely the most critical piece to be successful in managing. Uh, taking care of him. I'm very persistent. I push him sometimes, maybe sometimes a little bit too much to do certain things. I have determination that even though we know it's not going to get better, but every little sign of improvement gives me hope. Oh, he's doing pretty good today. Things are okay. Um, I do a lot of research on my own. I love to learn. I love to read. I love to research. So I have joined multiple websites, multiple blogs from Michael J. Fox Foundation all the way down. Some of it is information coming from all over the world. So I take some of that information that I read and then I do my own research on top of it. Would this be applicable to Kim? Would it not be? I take a lot of notes. And as you know, I come in with many questions and I do that for every doctor. And I think some of them dread me coming in because I do ask a lot of questions for him. So, um, like I said, organization persistence are the most critical uh, pieces. You know, I'm a driven person, so I drive him to do more. 
every day, see what else can we do, you know, constantly saying, please do this, correct that, you know. So um, he does have other illnesses like parking, I mean, like diabetes, and he also has some kidney issues. So I have to monitor everything very closely, his blood pressure, his heart rate, oxygen. Um, he has uh, continuous glucose monitoring system to manage his sugar. And uh, I've also noticed that if his sugar is okay, his Parkinson seems to be okay. So I look, where is the correlation? So I have some questions next time we go to see his endocrinologist to ask some questions because I've found out there's some other drugs, potentially not something that's been written about and not anything new. But how do I modify some things so that sugar and Parkinson's can work better together? Um, I'm very, very strict on medications, what he takes, how he, when he takes it. And we have found that uh, taking Parkinson's medication has to be done every day, same time. Uh, and we make sure that he doesn't take his insulin, for example, at the same time as his Lavidopa or Amantadine. So I make sure there's an hour gap between that, an hour gap between protein and lavidopa. So everything is very, very structured. We live very, very structured life right now. And uh, he goes three times a week to a physical therapist who has been absolutely great. I share the information I find, the research I do. I share that with her. And uh, she's also been learning reaching out to learn new things that she could do for him. And for example, like today, I had an article on posture that someone shared. I shared that with her, how she can work with him to open him up more. Um, he goes two times a week to chiropractor to work on his upper cervical part of the body. And then on top of that, he rides his bicycle three times, I mean, every day, seven and a half miles every day he wow. just finished a while ago that wears him out but then he can relax he goes off in the chair which he does frequently so we are consistent with everything we do uh he has been able to move around the house without cane but he has had some falls so we are in the process of changing that getting him a new parkinson's walker that's smaller than what he had before that will help him navigate throughout the house uh, we have had some visits to emergency room as a result of his falls, but um, he has recovered each and every time very well. So, uh, like I said, uh, doing a lot of research, I organize his pills. That's a critical part. I do like three to four weeks at the time. Everything is organized. And then at night, I take pills out for the next morning and separate uh things over the counter. I have very comprehensive list that I have for him that's available in my purse 24-7. I update that. I put in there what pill is for what illness, uh, the name of medication. I put in their dosage, when to take medication and who it's prescribed with. And I do that also for over the counter. I make sure he takes a lot of vitamins, a lot of different types of uh, supplements. So it, it's really very time-consuming to do many of these things, but it greatly has benefited him over the last few years. Well, that's wonderful. You've given us so much great information and uh, given me so many things I'd like to follow up on from what you just said. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, let me just, and you know, it's wonderful when you come into the office, I think um, so many caregivers can learn from this that you come so organized so that the, the visits are very efficient. You know, you, you have the topics you want to discuss, you have the research items ready to look at. And and so it's just so well organized and so easy for us to hit the highlights of what, what you really need us to cover in that visit time. Right. You you have to have a goal for every visit, what you want to get out. And uh, Bill will always say, man, Dr. Kloss was so prepared. He knew exactly what you were talking about, and he answered you every one of your questions. So, you know, he even notices that. But, you know, and he is sometimes surprised what it is, but I have heard it. I found out, you know, about something, and I like to ask. And like I said, we know he's towards the latter part. Not at the beginning, but I think people that are at the beginning need to take advantage of a lot of things that are available to them to make their lives much easier and make slower progression than what he has. Yes, yes. And and I think the consistency that you mentioned about uh, the diet and the blood sugar and the dosing times have really helped him tremendously with his Parkinson's. Yes. But can you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing with the diet and his blood sugar control? Because that's very interesting that that seems to correlate with how well his Parkinson's symptoms respond as well. Um, diet is one of the worst things we deal with every day. He loves food, but most of all, he's a sugarholic. Right. Uh, there's not a sweet that is anywhere that he doesn't love and would love to have. So we control that. But he has a continuous glucose monitoring system. So I have the app on my phone. I follow him. And it gives me 24-7 access. I was even in Europe and would call him, say, what did you have for dinner? Your sugar is very high. You know, so he couldn't get away from me no matter where I was. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I monitor that uh, religiously. Throughout the day, throughout the night, I'll wake up and check on him, on his sugar. And then uh, we also um, did find, like I said, very close correlation. If his sugar is good, he feels better. If it's not, he's woozy, he's dizzy, he's lightheaded, uh, you know, he's just dragging along. So I have determined in my own mind that there is definitely correlation. If his sugar is around 110 to 120, uh, he feels much better. His eyes are more open. And, uh, you know, his A1C used to be 8.2, and it's about 5.758 now. So Fantastic. we have worked very hard on a diet yes. to make that happen. And I think that caused him to lose some weight, which has helped him to be healthier, even with Parkinson's. Boy, that's wonderful. And and so when you're helping him and reminding him of all of these things that he's learning from especially therapy, you know, the posture and how to step and, and, and all of these things that uh, we learn, how does he respond? I mean, how do you... How do you help him to where you're not nagging, but you're you're giving him positive suggestions and he's receiving it in a positive way? Yeah, well, sometimes people tell me to quit nagging him, but I'll tell you what I do. Uh, I have put cameras in the house, and I'm going to reveal something I probably shouldn't. One of them, he doesn't know it's there. So <laughs> instead of humiliate him and say, you know, your head is down, I will call him when I see that his head is down. By the way, he tilts his head down to the left a great deal. His posture is not good at all. 
So I will call him and say, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? Um, are you keeping your head up? Are you staying awake? So he'll say, I, I'm fine. I'm really not. I'm doing this, you know, and that. And I just don't say that I've watched him on camera. However, the one in the bedroom, I do tell him he knows it's there, not happy about it. Because I will walk in and say, you dropped your head down again. So then when his walking happens so bad, I'll just put myself in his body position. And I will tell him, look how I'm walking. This is what you look like. I, as a normal person, would fall if I walked like this for any length of time. Because I don't have balance. My head is way down and my back is tilted you're sitting in half a circle and you're moving in a half a circle and that is painful and it's hard to watch and I know you're going to fall down if you don't watch that so when he walks I also tell him heels toes heels toes we just have that non-stop for his head I'll say upright so I don't need to say much of anything else he knows what it is and he is aware that his drooling has gotten worse and his nose is running more, but it's all on the left side is the way he tilts his head. So at the same time, I do put some fear in him telling him that his arteries will stop working because he's blocking them because neck is down too much. And when I take pictures and I show him what he looks like, first thing I will say, you're right, that does look bad. I really need to work on that. So it's, strict but a positive enforcement to him so he doesn't feel like you know she's on my case all the time I'm, I'm needing to do something about it he tries but then as he dozes off his mind is not talking to his body so the head will go down the chiropractical procedure has helped some it has helped him walk better but again he does have to be reminded more times than not it's gotten better but it's just being persistent with him. Okay. And and do you feel like the combination of these different exercise programs, uh, the bicycling, the boxing, uh, the physical therapy, do, do you feel like it's helped him to have all of those different uh, types working together as opposed to just selecting one? Absolutely. Absolutely. His physical therapist has different routines she does with him besides stretching. She does box with him. We used to go to boxing only. Unfortunately, it became difficult because it's moved, the place has moved and it's too far for us to drive. So he, she, she has incorporated boxing, uh, balancing. She has different machines she uses for his back, for his neck. Um, she does exercises because of his hands and loss of dexterity in his hands. She does some kind of a like a Play-Doh almost, she puts his hands in this paste and she makes him work with that. He does the little bowl exercises at home. So the more he does, the longer it has, it has taken for progression to get worse, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Because yes. he's not focusing on just one exercise, he does different kinds. And, and with his new walker, we'll start walking some in the neighborhood too. Great, great. And is he doing some speech therapy as well? Unfortunately not. Okay. We tried that several years ago, and like most people, he does not like to do those exercises. Right. We went to see speech therapist a few years ago. He did not like that piece at all. He has a device that helps him called Speech Vibe, yes. and when he puts it in his ear, he comes much clearer and speaks louder, 
And what I will do with him when he starts mumbling, I'll say, stop, focus what you're saying. And then he's very clear. He is very coherent what he's saying. But sometimes if he's wanting to say something real fast or if he's stressed out, I'll say, stop, you mumbling. You need to slow down and tell me what you want to say. And he does. But, you know, like I said, the brain doesn't always work with any other parts of the body. So a lot of times he stumbles at first, but then he'll stop. And I have even told our grandkids and our daughter, if he starts mumbling, just tell him to slow down and start speaking, you know, slower, and then it's fine. Okay. And and what is it like at night? Are you up and down with him a lot at night, or does he sleep through the night? I, uh, he, <laughs> he had a mild prostate surgery a few years ago. That did not help him. He was getting up four or five times a night. Last November, he did a full-blown, we had a fabulous doctor. And by the way, I'm going to at this point pay compliment. We are so blessed, and that's beyond belief. We have the best team of doctors, including yourself, that one could ever have. And I tell every one of them they are our champions. I couldn't make it without them. This doctor performed full-blown prostate surgery for him. He only gets up one time a night to go to the bathroom. That is it. And during the day, he does not have the issues he had before, nor night. And so uh, we did some research, talked to a family member that knew him, and uh, we made that decision to pursue this, and it has changed his life. Uh, So he gets up one time, sometimes maybe two times, but it's more rare than, you know, what it was like before. Right. Oh, that's wonderful. So, yeah. Wonderful. So, so you, you know, you have a full-time job with all the caregiving you're doing with him and the grandchildren and your family. And so yes. how, how are you just, how are you able to manage all of this? Uh, what, what's your secret? Um, to Being organized, uh, I don't get a lot of rest, but I am a workaholic. And uh, I, like I said, the only thing I have someone now coming three times a week to help me bathe him because my back was beginning to hurt so bad. But I do the rest of it. I just have to be organized. I We start our morning by going to physical therapy at 6.40 in the morning. A few minutes after we finished, we go for an hour. We go to chiropractor. By the time we go to therapy, I've already picked up everything in the house. So I kind of have an ease of mind that I don't have to deal with that and him at the same time. So uh, it's just really having to be organized and planning. Uh, planning is the critical piece to everything, you know. So um, that that really has saved us. But but you mentioned you're, you're looking into getting some help here um, more recently. Tell us. Tell us what kind of help you feel like you need to save on your back and and kind of give you some respite care, too. Uh, Right now, we are having someone to come in three times a week, and the primary thing she does is give him a bath, a shower, and uh, I get everything ready for her. And then I tell her, like today, I had to run somewhere. I'll say, make sure he takes his medicine when his alarm on the phone goes off. Keep an eye on him. Keep him talking. I don't want him to fall asleep. And so I want him to be alert and I want him to be awake. So they'll watch a movie together. They'll talk. I don't have her do anything else. He is the main focus for her. Uh, 
So she does that for a few hours and then she leaves. And then it's really up to me after that. So during that time, I can run, do some errands. I can start prepping some stuff for, you know, dinner or whatever. And uh, it's it's hard. Could I use more help? Yes. But at the same time, I find myself always doing my way. And that's very hard for me to give that control and organization up that I have. I always worry, will they follow through on everything I say? So having short interval helps me. And I may just come to the office and do some personal business or whatever else, but I know someone is there. I don't have to worry about him. And um, I try to always be at home when he's on bicycle, just in case. And if I'm not here, I'll tell her, you know, please make sure, you know, stay close by that he doesn't have an accident or fall or whatever. So he is aware, Dr. Claus, of any uh faults that what he is doing you know he will sit at the bicycle and i'll say you're leaning too much uh leaning too much to the left he said i know i am i need to really correct that so he is aware of most of the things so he is trying to correct things as well so if i run somewhere during the day i take him with me i don't leave him at home hardly you know he may sit in a car if i run to the store uh, so it's really a two-way street from both of us. We both have to give and take. Sure, sure. And is this someone that you found through private pay, or is this through insurance? Or it's through insurance. Oh, good, good. Okay. Yeah. And do you have family or or friends that sometimes are available to help you, or or? Um, we have a family here. Uh, our daughter lives here in town, but she has four children and she works. So it's very hard for her to come, but we try to get together with them. We'll go out as a family together. Um, our grandchildren will come here, you know, uh, but I cannot ask for help when they have hands full and the kids are very active in sports and school right now. Sure. So, but they will come if I need them, they're available. And, uh, uh, like any Parkinson's person or family, I've shared that with several of my friends, uh, the friendships are gone because, you know, you can't do some of the same things as other people do. So you end up being very lonely at home most of the times. If it wasn't for my family here, we have really, unfortunately, a lot of friends just kind of shy away. They don't know how to approach it, whether that's that or just a lack of Bill not being able to do some of the things we could do once. So those people do kind of start slowly fading, and that's a very, very common thing. Yeah, yeah. I have talked to too many people, and that happens very frequently. So we have developed some pretty strong relationships with people that are dealing with the same things that we are. Right, right. Through the support groups, or, or is this through the exercise? Not support group. We have met them at different things that we have attended at the time for Parkinson's okay. and have developed strong friendship and we talk and we'll get together, you know, have person or persons come here depending on circumstances. So we have stayed in pretty close touch and there's a lot of commonality there. That kind of gives you that support that you need because someone mm -hmm. that's not dealing with this doesn't always understand what you deal. You know, they'll say, Oh, Anka, you need to take care of yourself. Well, sometimes that's easier said than done. Right. You know, and uh, 
So those people do understand, and we had a lot in common to share. And you can call some of those people up, I would presume, and and be able to just visit and talk and and feel connected. Absolutely. Yeah. And vent out, you know, and uh, because every one of these folks with Parkinson's are different. Some of them are similar to Bill, some are not, but we still have the common bond because we're dealing with it 24-7. Right, right. Oh, that's wonderful. And and you've been able to do some traveling um, probably just prior to, to COVID, but um, do you have to make special arrangements then for Bill when you're... I, I did. Um, I went two years ago this month to see my family overseas, and I had um, my sister-in-law, Bill's sister, come in, stay with him. Our son came, and then our daughter was in and out. Since okay. she lives locally, so when she was free, she would come to help them out and kind of show them where everything is. But I did have help. I would have never left him alone. And like I was telling you, I, I checked his sugar right. <laughs> even when I was yeah. there. <laughs> you were completely away, were you? <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah. it was not complete at all. I was calling every day and checking his yeah. sugar every day. Right. Well, you, you're just so caring and, and so... Um, wonderful to take such great care of him. And I know that was probably hard to be away that, that kind of distance even. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, my family's like, why don't you bring him over there? Let him do some treatments there. Well, then again, that's easier said than done than what we do when we come back. Right. So that right. option was just quickly, uh, you know, crossed off. Yes. Yes. I'm I'm wondering, you know, if, if if we have a family that is is newly diagnosed and um, the family the care partners are just starting this journey, would you offer them any particular advice um, from what you've learned so far to how to start you I, know, the road? Uh, get organized. Get aggressive. Stay on top of things. Stay firm. Uh, you can't believe everything you read. So I would do your own research. I read a lot of stuff and I like, now that's not right. So I do my own validation of it on everything. And then I'll ask additional questions and I'll, you know, do more research. But the key is organize yourself. You have to stay on top of it. Some days are so frustrating. You're ready to pull your hair. Um, other days are more manageable, but there's not a calm day. That's very rare, the whole day to be calm. There might be parts of the day. So don't give up. Uh, stay on top of it. That's the key. And encourage them to do more physical activities. That is definitely the number one thing. Yes, medication, of course, is the top. But right after that would be um, exercise, get them involved, you know. And uh, mine will not, you know, do some things, but... If it's physical things that I can encourage him to do, that he will do. Okay. And you know, that, you have to push them. Right, right. And then what about the caregivers that are they're kind of at your stage um, where the illness is now causing not only the physical challenges, but the maybe now there's some cognitive changes. And, and, and you know, oftentimes, and I don't know if you see this in Bill, but a lot of times the patients may change in their personality. They may become more irritable oh, yes. or, or they may not um, sort of behave the same that they used to. And um, are, are there words of advice on how to handle that? Um, the personality definitely changes. He has depression. He has anxiety. And if he sees something he wants, it's like dealing with a two-year-old. 
but I want it, but I want it. Then we go through the long process. Why do you want it? What is it going to do? I'm cleaning. I'm cooking. I don't need it. I don't want it. Why do you want it? Well, I just want to have it. You know, we'll do with that. And if it was up to him, he would just be on Amazon every five minutes and get something. So we put quickly stop to that, (laughs) you know, uh, because their personalities do change. And when I look back and I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's had these anxiety issues for probably 30 years. And uh, so I'm dealing with it by just being firm, but at the same time explaining the reason why something cannot be done. And I will, you know, find something that may please him. Some things he'll say, you know, why I don't have this, I don't have that. Well, you have everything. And I oftentimes will say, you are so blessed. You have a lot more than other people do. You know, yeah. you, you still have ability to talk. You still have ability to eat. You don't have such a bad, yes, it's a horrible disease, but you know it's not going to get better. So we got to work with what we have and to make the best of it. So, but personality changes, absolutely. And some people's personality gets really bad. I'm fortunate his is not bad. Anxiety and depression, I would say, are the main ones that he deals with. Yeah, yeah. Are, are there things that you have done to, or that he has done to try to improve that? Or uh, Like I said, I, I explained to him why something had not been done. And I put stop to that. And then uh, I tell him there's no need for something. And but he doesn't use computer. His hands cannot handle the keyboard. So thank goodness for that. So he has to ask me to get it for him. Then I have to deal with it and explain, you know, no, we're not going to get it. We don't need it. It's a waste of money. And he loves infomercials. He would buy anything that's on infomercial. So I have to put very quickly stop to that. And he'll try to sell it to me on behalf of the person that's selling the infomercial product. And, you know, I'll, we go through a lengthy, lengthy discussion for many days sometimes, depend what it is. Uh, depression, you know, there's definitely sign of that. He'll say just some days he gets so frustrated with everything. He'll say, well, I just wish I was dead right now so I don't have to deal with this because uh, we try to do everything on time and by the rules and, you know, oftentimes just like anybody else or like a little child, he gets frustrated. Why do I have to do it this way? Why do I have to do it now? You know, mm-hmm. why can I not have more insulin so I can eat more? You know, and that's not the solution. So I tell him that insulin is a poison in his body just because it helps him man- manage sugar. That doesn't mean you abuse it and eat anything you want and just shoot insulin. So there's a lot of explaining for everything we deal with, you know, so I kind of deal sometimes with, I know he wants something, so I'll find maybe four or five things that he wants, but I'll only do one at a time to appease him. So he doesn't get his anxiety expressed so loudly, you know, all the time, but I want this. So I'll say, okay, I found you this thing. What do you think about that? You know, and then he gets excited about that and forgets about four others until he finds something else. Right. So you, you're almost like a, in some form of shape a psychiatrist because you have to deal with their personalities. Yes, yes. And manage that as well. Right. Are there certain activities or uh, things that you guys do together that you would look back on and say, boy, those were just wonderful um, times together? You know, just... just yeah. 
special moments that you have together, um, things that you like to do? We love we love to be together with our family. We love doing that. We love spending time with our grandkids. He cannot do that anymore. He cannot go to any games. I will go to home games because it's close to us, but he cannot do that. And that's one of the hardest things for him to accept that he cannot find, you know, participate in their events. And it's hard on the kids because they see their friends with grandparents. And when I come home and I tell him everything, he'll say, boy, I wish I could have gone there. And so, um, because he was so involved with our own kids, that's very hard for him to take. So then the kids will come and we tape as much as we can and we'll uh, watch so he can be part of whatever they are doing. So if the girls are playing volleyball, I if I end up going to a game, I'll tape it when they're playing at the town. It's recorded, so he watches the whole game with me. So we do those things together. We have been involved in a church group, but then due to COVID and everything else, we we don't participate in any social events much. We go out to eat occasionally with couple friends, and uh, but uh, it's really minimized all of our outing and doing stuff together. So sure. it's pretty much staying home, which is not healthy. We can't travel, you know, so that gets old that you're just in the house time. But we do take every day, uh, we get in the car and we drive around. We take different routes. He'll say, let's take that scenic route. Let's take this one. So we'll drive for about 30 minutes to an hour sometimes. We've seen many parts of outside of Tulsa we didn't know before. (laughs) (laughs) So just to get him out of the house. And when he sits in the car, interesting enough, he keeps his head up because he wants to see outside. Yeah. So that's been very helpful to us. Wow. So, but we do our tour of Tulsa pretty much most evenings. <laughs> that's wonderful. It's probably a, a great time to talk and, and yes. have, have some quality time together. Yes. Or we'll listen to the radio and argue with the radio, you know, what they are saying we don't like. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so, but that's fun time. And really the most fun is when the family is together. Yes. Wonderful. Well, Anka, you've given us so many wonderful um, pieces of wisdom, and you've shared so much about your life and experiences and and recommendations, and I just can't thank you enough for giving us this time and, and all the wonderful things you've mentioned today. Absolutely. And like I said, any time that I can help anybody, I'd love to do it. It's absolutely no problem. I'm more than happy to share anything with anybody. Well, thank you. And you're an inspiration to all of us, to all of us care partners and caregivers. You're, you're just um, a wonderful example of, of someone just taking such great care of a loved one. And uh, thank you for all that you do. Thank you, sir. Thank you for joining the Parkinson's Disease Caring Podcast. Please visit pdcaring.com for more information. And remember, you are a better Parkinson's disease caregiver than you think.